this is the Wickham Festival podcast, the first of two special editions featuring interview highlights from the 2019 Wickham Festival. You will hear from Graham Nash, Kiefer Sutherland and Stuart Roy Clark. But first up is Grace Petrie. So, Family Festival. How, how, <laughs> you know where this is going. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. 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 How, how does that affect your set? Uh, I think I'm just going to go uh, as sweary as I possibly can, is what I tend to do. No, I'm joking, no. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I do have certain adjustments that I make, depending on the time of the day. Um, I mean, you can still expect quite a lot of angry left-wing rants, but uh, I might have to substitute a few, a few uh, flipping hex in there <laughs> for other things that might uh, come out later at night. Yeah, that's yeah. the plan. Yeah. But it's fair to say it's a very important element of your, of your work, isn't it? The, the left wing, the politics, um, it, it is who and what you are. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I think at this point I can't seem to give it up. <laughs> I never intended really to be a political singer. And, uh, and I, I, I frequently these days sort of wish that I wasn't. But, um, yeah, it seems is, to be a lifelong yeah. affliction, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, and the politics at the moment isn't making it any easier to give it up. No, absolutely not, you know, and that's the thing. I think it's uh, the, the kind of challenge, I guess, is not to just... Uh, you don't want to just write things that are kind of endlessly despairing, you know. I think yeah. it's very important um, that we all sort of try and... Those of us in my position, we sort of try and offer a bit of hope. And on some days, that is more difficult than others, uh, especially at the moment. But... Um, I mean, I think, yeah, you know, I'm, ne- I'm certainly never short of things to write about the way things are going at the moment, yeah. Has it surprised you, the way things are going at the moment? Um, honestly, no. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm quite frightened, um, would be a word that I would choose before surprise. But, um, you know, I think that because, I guess, a lot of the things that have informed my songwriting and, and my, my politics... I guess are referred to these days a lot as uh, as identity politics. So I guess by that I mean being a woman in an inherently sort of patriarchal, sexist world has informed my politics, and being a gay person in a sort of inherently kind of homophobic world have informed my politics. And, you know, both of those things, I guess the sort of over the years I, I have kind of seen us moving in a direction that is sort of the opposite of progress, you know, and I think those of us who are kind of belong to minorities or have experienced, you know, discrimination in any form, have kind of been saying for a few years, you know, actually there's some really worrying stuff on the horizon and what we need to do is we need to actually have solidarity amongst ourselves between our communities. And I think on a lot of scores we kind of failed to do that, you know. I think um, uh, we just failed to have kind of international solidarity with a lot of the campaigns that we should have done that maybe would have put us in a better position to sort of combat what we're seeing now with very reactionary movements in uh, the US and, and here. So um, I hope and, that... And across Europe, I think, probably. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and across Europe, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it's... Um, now really is the time that I think we need to sort of... The, I think that the, the temptation in times like this when, when people feel threatened is to kind of um, retreat into ourselves and sort of look after our... look after my own my own patch and my own you know, look after my own back and that kind of thing. And I think that what we need to do actually more than ever is to be, you know, rebelliously compassionate. I think that that is the only 
form of subversion that is kind of left to us at the moment. I think in a, in a world that is sort of where the dominant message is uh, to look after number one and sort of who cares about anybody else. I think you know it, that in, under uh, under those kinds of circumstances and amidst, um, amongst that ideology, the only real sort of rebellion left is to be very compassionate and very and, and act with solidarity and compassion for each other. I think that's the only thing that's going to win it for us in the end. But I think I think we will. You'll, well, you'll find a very receptive audience here at the Wickham Festival because known for being tolerant and open-minded and non-judgmental here you can be who you want to be and Mm -hmm. everybody just accepts you as you are so hopefully I would think you will get a good reception. I hope so yeah yeah ask me in a couple of hours to see how it's gone yeah. (laughs) Apart from the parents with the small children. Absolutely well you know you got to start them young on this stuff you know yeah. So what can we expect tonight do you change your set according to the fact it's a festival as to when you're on tour in a solo way? Well, I mean, I've, I do. sometimes I play with my band, so I've had a few band shows this uh, this summer, which has been really nice. So it's uh, I'm kind of back out of there on my own tonight. So I do different songs according to being solo. Um, but, um, yeah, I've, got, I've got kind of got a, a, quite a few sort of... I had a new record out last year, so I've been playing a, a lot of songs from that one. But then, you know, over the past few shows, I've had a few requests for kind of older songs, which I've been empl- uh, really enjoying kind of bring it back into the set so I think it'll be a bit of sort of cl- classic uh, classics Grace Petrie set I reckon tonight yeah and another, a reunion with Frank Turner and a reunion with Frank Turner I can't seem to avoid him that guy yeah yeah so I was obviously I supported him on tour earlier on in the year and uh, and then we've actually crossed paths a, a few times over the summer yeah we were um, both at Folk by the Oak a couple of weeks ago so um, yeah I, I just I, I don't know what to say he just seems to be following me around I've tried to tell him to back off you know but he's just I think he's just my biggest fan you're an aura stalker yeah absolutely absolutely yeah he's stalking me or I'm stalking him I'm not sure which way around it is so what have you got in the pipeline coming up well I'm um, I'm going away in September to do some writing on a new record which is going to be out um, next autumn autumn 2020 um, which is sort of in a way it feels like my last album came out September last year and in a way that feels like uh, five minutes ago and in a way that feels like ten years ago so it's uh, that, that classic thing where I feel like another record really I just feel like I only just did a record but at the same time uh, as we said so much is sort of happening in the world at the moment that there's, there's, uh, there's actually I'm kind of writing at quite a sort of rate of knots so um, got a lot to say yeah. I certainly have got a lot to say. Yeah, well, you know, my last my last sort of six albums haven't sorted things out politically, but I, I think this one's really going to do it. I've got a good feeling about number seven. So uh, I'm going to be writing, and then I'm on tour, uh, full UK tour in October for pretty much all month. Um, and then next year I'm, I'm off on some some journeys uh, overseas to do some touring, which uh, which will be very nice, yeah, in some faraway sunny places. Yeah, I think this, the sad thing is you're writing this album now and there's no danger of it being out of date by the time it's released that seems to be the case yeah that does seem to be the case although who knows if there was a, a socialist uprising and we uh, find ourselves in a left wing utopia in the spring I'd, I'd be willing to sacrifice the record I think <laughs> as many hits if not more hits than the Beatles and you decide probably at the peak of this to go your own way and try it in California was that was it a huge decision to leave the Hunts? No it was not it should have been but it wasn't 
And the reason is that I heard me and David and Stephen sing. And once I had heard the way that we put our three voices together into one voice, I knew I would have to go back and leave the Hollies and leave my stuff and leave my finances and equipment and, and go and follow this sound. I'm a musician. That's what my heart told me to do, and that's what I did. But the harmonies in the Hollies were pretty good. Uh, bus Stop? Not bad. Not that's bad. a great song. You know, there were some, some good pop songs, you know, but... The world is different than that, you know. That was okay then in the 60s, but today is a very different world, you know. We've got the Trump administration in the United States dividing people with fear and lies, uh, and uh, our very democracy is, is in danger here. And, and so those kind of times call for different kind of songs, and we had them then. Now, before we get on to that, and I do want to talk about today, but the Hollies turned down Marrakesh Express and teach your children. That must have hacked you off, but it must have really hacked them off when you take them and make them number one across the planet. Yeah, I had a smile about that one. <laughs> <laughs> but then don't forget the Hollies had, uh, what was it, two or three top ten records after I left? Bugger them. But then they, they come back with Albert Hammond's Air That I Breathe. Right. Did, did you yeah. think, that's a pretty good one. No, they did pretty good songs. And, you know, Long Cool Woman and, and uh, He Ain't Heavy is my brother. Decent songs, really. Very decent. Now, you go to Laurel Canyon. Now, I've seen documentaries about Laurel Canyon. And when you hear about the Muscle, Muscle Shoals Studios or the Memphis Horns, what was the... Can you explain to me um, what Laurel Canyon was like? Um, well, to me then, you know, being an Englishman from the north of England, uh, it was kind of paradise. It was, it was sunny all the time, kind of like it is today. Uh, Lots of music being made, lots of love being fallen into, you know, not only with David and Stephen and, and their music that, that, that we could create, but there were a lot of very pretty women around too, and there were a lot of drugs around also. It was kind of, a, a, you know, for then, it was kind of paradise. It's a different world now, but then it was interesting. Oh, and, and of course then, in those days, I would imagine the drugs were kind of experimental, the book hadn't been written, there was no crack co uh, co cocaine, there was no crime because of drugs. So in a way, they were wild times, but I would imagine, uh, Graham, pretty innocent. Um, yeah, we didn't, uh, we didn't see uh, what was wrong with smoking a joint, you know. Um, it, it's a plant, you know. People smoke tobacco, and, and that seems to be legal, and that seems to be killing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people a year, but they don't seem to care. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of innocent, but uh, it's a very different world now. We over at one of those Mama Cass parties, and you're thinking, I'm a kid from Salford. I did Top of the Pops. I never thought I was going to do Top of the Pops. I was number one, and now I'm hanging out with Mama Cass. I know. It, um, you know, she was very much... Uh, kind of like the Gertrude Stein of, of, of Hollywood, you know, she would invite various people from around different, uh, different uh, uh, work, you know, uh, actors and movie stars and, and architects and artists and musicians. She, she would put together a, a bunch of interesting people to talk, so she was very much like the Gertrude Stein. And quite frankly, the reason why you and I are speaking right now is because of Cass Elliott. Um, you've had an incredible career. You still look great, but I believe you left California a few years ago and went to New York. Can you have too much California? I've never been, but can you have too much California? Oh, yes, you can have too much California. You can have too much of anything in your life. And the secret is moderation in everything. And, and what about Newton? So New York is home now. It is. Um, are, you, are you in Manhattan? I am. I, I, I live in the 
I live in the part of New York that is really New York now. Uh, it, it's changed a great deal. I, I live down in, in the Greenwich Village, uh, and it, it's really uh, old New York. You know, there are no skyscrapers, there are no giant buildings. Uh, it, it, it's a pretty nice place. And I'm very lucky, and I guess, you know, I lived in Hawaii for, you know, for 40 years. Um, I guess I just traded jungles. Do you miss the old place, or is it just nice to tip your toe in the water? I, I, I'm just, you know, I feel very much like I'm just this brain, you know, on the end of a stick. You know, I, 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 I'm not part of any country. I mean, I'm English. I was born in England. I, I'll always be English, of course, and I'm very proud of that. I'm also very proud of the fact that I've been an American citizen for over 40 years also. I didn't want to be throwing musical hand grenades in, you know, not being a part of the country. I thought that would be hypocritical. And so I decided that I wanted to be, I wanted to vote. I wanted to express my opinion. I wanted to, I mean, America is a very beautiful country. It is very different today. But basically, the people there want the same thing as everybody in the world. They want their children to grow up. They want them to be educated. They want them to be fed. They want to give them a better world than they had. And that's what's going on throughout the world. And it's still the same story today. And you've, you've always wanted the planet to be cleaner and greener. I mean, you were a bit of a trailblazer for that back in the day. Is it because you were just you would have been political if you'd been a, a milkman or a school teacher, or is it because you thought I've got a voice and it's a big voice because of what I do, and I'm going to use it for some good? Or does that sound a bit worthy? No, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I realised that when when you had the the pleasure of selling millions of pieces of plastic, along with that comes a certain power. In the early days with the Hollies, we couldn't even um, we couldn't even touch the board. If we wanted more kick drum, you know, we'd have to ask Ron Richards, who would then tell the engineer, who would then put his hand on the board and bring up the kick drum. The moment you started to sell millions of records, the power shifted, and it shifted towards the musicians. And therefore it became, you know, that I could reach over to the board myself and bring up the kick drum or the bass or the vocals or whatever it is I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, what an interesting life I've had. And what, obviously you're playing here tonight. Now you've got some other gigs in the UK. Um, is there a current album we should steer people towards? Um, let me see. The last one I put out was about four months ago, and it was. Uh, I realised that there hadn't been a great, uh, well, for want of a better title, a greatest hits album of my music. Yes, greatest hits of the Hollies. Yes, greatest hits of CSN. Yes, greatest hits of CSNY, but not of my music. And I wrote most of the singles, as you know. And so I decided that I would put um, the 15 most favorite songs that my fans seem to love. And then I realized that real true fans of my music have probably uh, bought those in different formats, and, you know, cassettes and eight track and CDs and DVDs and Blu-ray, etc. And so I wanted to make it more interesting. And so I went back into my archives and I've kept our tapes safe for the last 50 odd years. 
uh, and I'm very proud of that, particularly in terms of the uh, Universal Music Group fire that happened in Hollywood, mm. where things like Buddy Holly's Masters were destroyed, and the music of many, many other great artists. But I've been taking care of our, uh, of our tapes for all these years, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to be smart enough to do that. Okay, look, it's been great to meet you. And this over here is Ian Matthews from Matthews Southern Comfort. Yes. So uh, Nice record of Woodstock, by the way. You like his version? <laughs> yeah, of course. There you go. There's the seal of approval. Well, you know, they recognised that it was a great song. Yeah. And Joni wrote that song, you know, before... A lot of people think that maybe me and David and Stephen and Neil rabbiting on to Joni about how great Woodstock was, because Joni was supposed to play Woodstock, but she was on the Sunday night. On the Monday, she was supposed to be back in New York doing the Dick Cavett show, which was her first television show and a very major part of her career. Um, and so she was, she was advised by Elliot Roberts and David Geffen, our managers, not to go to Woodstock. So a lot of people think that she wrote Woodstock because me and David and Stephen and Neil were, were so enthusiastic about what had happened. But that song was 99% finished by the time we got back to New York. So that's how great a writer Johnny Mitchell Sutherland tonight. What a great reception you got. Oh, the audience was wonderful and this festival is wonderful and so yeah, it was just a fantastic evening for us. I've seen you a couple of times in Bath and Birmingham, but oh. tonight that reception blew me away. I mean, it was better than everything I've well, seen. I have to tell you, uh, we and I can't explain why, uh, but the audiences that we've had in the UK have just been extraordinary and uh, just so thrilled to be able to play here. And the festival, as far as you've seen, it's a, it's a really lovely event. Oh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. Uh, you know, the only other festival that we've ever played uh, here in the UK was Glastonbury. And that tent was very much like the tent we played there. And, and people have been amazing. And the audience was extraordinary. And how's the second album going? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful Well, we album. played the second album tonight. Uh, we're in the middle of... Uh, it's certainly selling a lot better than the first record. And we're, we're focused right now on the third, so, yeah. So, do you regard yourself as a singer now, or still as an actor, or a bit of both? A, a bit of both. I'll be an actor to the day I die. It's, it's the great love of my life, uh, but this is another way to tell stories, and and, uh, and I've just enjoyed playing live so much that it's something that I hope to be able to do to the day I die. And presumably you're at a stage of life now where you can do that, and you can I'm, pick and choose. I'm really lucky. I've been able to do things... Uh, that have interested me, and not many people get to say that. Uh, they've got to work, and they've, you know, but I've been very fortunate with my life, and I'm going to try and take full advantage of it. Well, thank you very much for your time, and we're delighted to have you here. My gosh, absolutely. Thank you. Clark and Professor John Williams who've just given a fascinating talk on the Valley stage on football photography. So uh, first of all tell me why? How, how has this come about? Well you holding the mic for me, John, Peter, lots of us here are also football fans as well as festival fans. We think there's a great symmetry between the two. The one is the thing that you enjoy for two months or more of the year and, it, and there's no hassle. 
Uh, we'll try to link that to Peter later. But it's easy, it's, it's, it's what we'll dream of, the summer on your, sun on your back. The football is 10 months of slaughter and suffering and hardly anybody wins anything. But the big thing is they're both about gatherings and we think, John, Professor John and myself, believe that these are the greatest things we've got going for us in this country. Yeah, um, and, and also Stuart was here and available to chart one of the great transformations in, in the English game from the late 1980s through to the current period. Uh, the game has changed enormously. The stadiums have changed. Uh, the supporters have, have changed. Uh, and Stuart's, all of that would have been lost, I think, without Stuart's photography to remind us what the game used to be like and, and how the game is now. For all its its ills, and there are plenty of ills, we're in a better place now than we were in the late 1980s when, when Stuart started to do this mammoth Homes of Football project, which has now developed into the game. And we're just really lucky that we've been, we've been able to, to have him to kind of show us how the game moved on, how the game shifted. And although... Uh, the game is in a better place now. There's still a huge market for nostalgia and looking back. Yeah, I mean, the Pompey of old, you know, the team that won the cup and, and held it for years during the World War is something, you know, it won't happen again. You've got to be nostalgic about that. And perhaps nostalgic about the song song and the, and the bits of grounds that granddad, grandmum, grandmother put together. But we're now, you know, and I think tomorrow is as, as exciting as yesterday. So I think us two uh, are huge nostalgists, kind of realists who are in the present, and then we dream about what's around the corner. And hopefully we'll do another talk here in a year or two and we, we, we'll tell you what's changed. I thought it was a really interesting line in the talk when you asked if the game is old or new. My instinct was to say that it's old because I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm old and I, 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 I look back. But then you said that it's new because it's got a long way still to go. I think you're in the majority. Your, your hand went up with the three quarters of the crowd that said it was old. And yeah, it is old. We feel it's old because it's older than us. It goes back to people that we didn't really know. Even back to the birth of photography, you know, sort of fading images of great-great-grandparents. That's when football really took hold of the country. But... My, my point was, Graham, which you're picking up on, is I said to people, well, if it's to last another few thousand years or even a thousand years, maybe even 500 years, then surely, proportionally, it's new. So how much better do you think the game can get? Well, I think the world perspective is something here. I know, you know we could get caught up in all other conversations now about where the world is going to or how much Britain wants to be a part of that world. But, you know, there was no doubt that on two fronts, football and festivals, we still lead the way. You know, Italy, Spain, all these might have Messi and great players and a lot of great clubs and great support. But they haven't got 7,000 clubs and so many professional clubs who just refuse to go under. You know, Bolton and Bowie are in an absolute mess, but we're counting that they'll still be there at the end of the season somehow. So in terms of the festival, how did you feel the talk went? Well, I'm going to say, first of all, John's going to give a more considered answer. But I loved it. I loved it. John? No, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and, you know, your question about is the game better, the, better doesn't necessarily mean bigger and, and financially more successful. Better just means does it still have meaning for the people who watch it? And I think our audience there were the, were the kind of audience who were there because the game still matters to them. 
uh, you know, beyond the market and the money and the incredible wages that the top players earn, the whole game is important. And I think that, that again, is one of the strengths of Stewart's work. He's not just interested in the elites. He charts the smaller clubs, the, the local clubs, the, the, the emotional experience of being a fan. And that's what we all need to hold on to, you know, that in the end, our own emotional connection to the club is what's really important. This, this is definitely the subject of a folk festival. A few people before said, hold it, what are you going to talk about? Yeah, football. This is folk. You know, when the Proclaimers played here and then you go to Hibs and you hear the whole crowd singing, or not even at the football match, just singing Sunshine on Leith. What a great crossover. Music and football, community, what things mean to people. And that little element of, I've suffered to be in this position, is, is a wonderful thing. And you're getting into festival photography as well? Yes, I, um, you know, I have to say I've done a big stint at Glastonbury, your little neighbour down the road, and um, I've been going since 1987. I would have probably been going to Wickham if it had been going that long, and maybe I will go for many decades to come. They are both as good as each other. It's not about size, as John says. We've got you know, up to 10,000 people here, perhaps 7,000 at any one time, and there's 205,000 at Glastonbury. If you said to me, which did you enjoy more? I'd say both. But, and what do you make of Wickham in terms of the atmosphere? I love the view over the valley, you know, that's just a visual view. The people are very friendly. They're not kind of saying, um, you know, this is absolutely electric and we've got the, you know, the latest cutting-edge acts. There's people there just really enjoying it, relaxed, reading books, want to be here all four days or more. And I think that is, is its great plaudit, that, it, you know, you really feel a part of it. You're not just one of the numbers. Well, we're delighted that you were a part of it today. And uh, you think the, that we could do a few more talks like this in the future? Yeah, I'm going to go and chat up Peter in a minute. See if we can come. <laughs> we'll be back in 12 months' time. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Wickham Festival podcast. Make sure you check out the second edition coming soon. The festival is set to go ahead in 2021. Tickets are available now from Wickham Festival at UK. The lineup includes Van Morrison, Eliza Carthy, The South, the SAS Band, Eddie Reader, and many more. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.